Thank you. Good morning. In the fifth chapter of John's Gospel, we find these words beginning in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel, an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Before we begin this morning, I'd like to say once again that I greatly appreciate the invitation to be with you this weekend, and um, also the providence of God in allowing us to arrive safely, and I believe having a very good meeting in the time that we have been here um, Bethel Church has long literally been a Bethel spot for me, and I have always enjoyed every occasion that the Lord has blessed me to be here among you. Uh, I consider you all very dear friends, and I thank you very much uh, for your kindness to me uh, throughout the years, and may God continue to show his favor and divine blessings on you here. Of course, Brother David is one of my dearest, dearest friends. And McClenny Church is very important to me as well. I teasingly say that McClenny Church is Little Union North because uh, when I'm there, I feel almost like I'm right there at Little Union. And so I'm always glad to be there, but also to be in service with him. And I can't speak highly enough about Brother Ronald. Um, he's just been a, a steadfast um, mentor. Uh, there's a lot of times that I've been able to reach out to him for counsel and wisdom and um, he's never failed to be there to help, and I appreciate that. In my early days at Little Union, it's hard to imagine a decade is now about past since I moved there. A time is quickly fleeting. Uh, but um, he knew, of course, the church very well, and I did not. And so there were a lot of occasions when things would arise that I would call him because he knew personalities, knew uh, the church real well, and I could get his counsel and it was a tremendous help to have a former pastor that I could reach out to, and he understood the church better than me. Now, I don't have to do that as much anymore, because after a decade, I pretty well know the personalities of folks there, and I uh, uh, don't have to do that in the same way, but of course, I still try to get general counsel. Um, but I appreciate his ministry, and um, the Lord has blessed us greatly there, and we're very thankful for it. And but I will say that a lot of that blessing comes from foundational work that was laid in the years that Brother Ronald was pastor there. And I have benefited and been the great recipient of things that were already established uh, that um, I came in and just simply had to build upon. And, of course, as the Apostle Paul warns us, we are to be careful how we build upon uh, foundations. But uh, I do appreciate, and so does Little Union still to this day, uh, the faithful ministry about Ronald when he was there, and we continue to appreciate him uh, to this hour. 
Here in John chapter 5, we find, I think, a very interesting experience that a man who was 38 years without the ability to walk, an impotent man, meaning no power over his legs to walk, and this miraculous healing. And we find all throughout the scriptures where there were miraculous healings. So this is not the first time that the Lord has worked in a supernatural way. And I would believe that the same God that has worked supernaturally as recorded in the scriptures still is able to work supernaturally in our day. And that is why I call upon him in times of affliction because I believe that he can supernaturally work in my life and in the lives of those that I care about. Um, we've had uh, quite a few of our members with COVID over the last year, and every time I would hear of that, of course, I would immediately begin to pray that the Lord would supernaturally uh, reach down and touch them and take care of their needs. And uh, thankfully, not uh, every one of ours that have had uh, the virus has been recovered and doing well, and we're thankful for that. But a lot of times we kind of get like King Asa over in the Old Testament who was diseased in his feet and he sought not the Lord, the Bible says, but to the physicians. And the result was he died. And a lot of times we seek the physicians, but we forget to seek the Lord. And I know some folks go to the other extreme. They seek the Lord and never seek the physicians. And I believe this, that the Lord many times works through the physicians to help us. And I'm thankful that we live uh, in the a time in which we do with great medical advances, and I'm thankful for them, uh, but we should never come to a point that we rely solely on them. We need to ask the Lord to use them and bless them to help us in our recovery. Well, here in John chapter 5, though, this is a time when medical uh, help was limited. This man uh, was paralyzed. don't know if it was from some kind of injury or what it was, but he's been this way for 38 years. Um, you know, that's a hard to imagine to deal with an infirmity like that for that many years. But any of us who are any age whatsoever, we have infirmities we've dealt with from the time we entered into this world, and it's called sin. And that's simply an infirmity that we deal with and will deal with until we lay these bodies down. You know, James would say, lust when it's conceived, bring it forth sin. Sin when it's finished, bring it forth death. The one bright spot in that whole verse is that uh, sin is finished at death. When we die, sin is finished. It's not going to bother us anymore, at least uh, the spiritual man, the man within us. And so uh, sin is going to have its finish. There's going to be an end of sin. And thank God for that day. But until then, we're going to deal with the infirmity of sin. Well, here this man, though, he's doing on top of that with the infirmity of not being able to walk. And so here it says he's at a certain pool called Bethesda, which means the pool of kindness. And it says that at a certain season, and we don't know whether this was on an annual basis or quarterly basis, it really doesn't matter, but a certain season that an angel would come down and would trouble the water. And the very first person that could get to the water would be made whole, whatever the disease that they had. Now you can imagine the crowd of people that would be around that pool, especially around that season. If you knew that you had a certain uh, ailment and you could go to Vanderbilt or maybe the Mayo Clinic or Johns Hopkins or uh, MD Anderson, and if you were the first one in line, you would be made whole of whatever your disease was, but you were the only one, don't you reckon there would be uh, some tussle and wrestling and fighting going on to obtain that healing? I suspect that went on here at the Pool of Bethesda. 
I mean, think about Christmas time when uh, their last toy that your child really wants or some child really wants, and you'll hear about this uh, every year just about, where fights break out in Walmart and various places because somebody got the last uh, item that this person really wants because that's what their kids asked for. And you hear about people doing some of the most ridiculous things in order to attain an item at a store. Uh, maybe y'all had that problem even last year when there was a shortage of uh, uh, toilet paper. I remember seeing lines at Walmart. Uh, literally, people were getting in fights over being able to buy something like that. I was just standing back in amazement at how people were behaving. As Brother David preached the first sermon of this, uh, or his first sermon of this meeting about patience and how there's been such a lack of it uh, over the past uh, a year or so. And certainly, I beheld it with my own eyes as I would go into a store and see people behaving in such a way, showing selfishness and not being uh, concerned about other people's needs. But anyway, here is this man, 38 years, not able to walk, and he wants to, of course, obtain healing. He's at a place of healing. Now, again, I've already mentioned there's been a lot of supernatural healings in the Bible, even in the ministry of Jesus prior to this point. John chapter 2, we find the first recorded miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ when he turned the water into wine at the marriage of Canaan and Galilee. Uh, we find as you go forward that the Lord continues to bless individuals in their uh, physical ailments and needs. But I find over in the book of uh, Kings where there was a man by the name of Naaman who was a uh, chief uh, soldier among uh, the Syrian army, a man that was uh, greatly uh, thought of by the king in that day, but also a man that the Lord thought well of too. And uh, the Bible says Naaman was a great man. He was a chief of the captain, but it says, but he was a leper. Um, and of course, we find there was a little maid in their land. A Jewish girl said that she wished he simply was over where the prophet of God was or that the prophet of God would be there. And so the king of Syria, he writes a letter to the king of Judah and uh, writes over there and, and asks that this uh, servant be made whole. Of course, the king thinks it's a trap thing. And what in the world can I do for this man? Well, we find that uh, Elisha, he finds out about that and he sends to the king and says, you just tell him to bring him on over. So Naaman comes and Naaman comes to the house of Elisha and he comes and sends his uh, servant to knock on the door. And you know, Elisha wouldn't even hardly come to the door. He says, you just tell him to go down into Jordan and wash seven times. And we find that Naaman the Syrian, he got very upset about that. You know, he wanted Elisha to come out and maybe do some great miraculous thing. You know, it needed to be complicated. It needed to be something that uh, had a lot of show to it, a lot of uh, maybe magic and uh, lights and smoke and flash and all of that. And so when he's told to just go down to Jordan and wash seven times, he says, well, we got rivers over in Syria that's better than Jordan. Why in the world would I do that? And so he gets angry and begins to go home. And he had a faithful servant that says, wait a minute, if he'd have told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. He's just told you to go down and dip in Jordan seven times. And so we find that he listens to the servant, goes down and dips in Jordan seven times. And of course, Naaman is cured of his leprosy. And of course, he wanted to provide a great blessing to Elisha by the, uh, giving him clothing and silver, but Elisha would not allow it. But anyway, we see through the scriptures where people have been healed of very, very serious diseases. Leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. Uh, leprosy, of course, was a very, very horrible disease in that day and even in today's world uh, to contract. But anyway, this man was healed uh, through the waters of Jordan. Well, here in John 5, this man is looking to the waters of the pool of Bethesda. He wants to be uh, healed, obviously, because that's where he's at. He's at a place of healing. And notice we find the Lord Jesus Christ, he 
saw him lie, verse 6, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. And he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And on the surface, that seems to be a very strange question that the Lord would ask this man. I mean, this man's sick, this man's infirm, this man is in a, unable to walk, and here he is at a place where healing occurs. And he obviously wants to be made whole. But see, the Lord never asks a question in order to obtain information. The Lord already knows the answer ahead of that. A lot of times the Lord will ask questions to make us think. Now also you got to remember in this day and time that some folks, they gained their living by the fact that they were infirm. And so they would sit and beg, as we see in a number of times in the scriptures where people would do that, and others would have compassion upon them, and maybe that's how they gained their living. Uh, but here, the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, is asking this man particularly this question to get his focus uh, where it needs to be. This man's focus is solely upon this water and an angel coming down. Now, I believe that this was a literal angel that came down at a literal season and troubled the water, and that water literally healed folks from whatever disease they had. I think it was just one of those things that God in his mercy showed them great compassion and healed them. This is not a fairy tale. This is a real story. This was a real angel, and people were really healed there. Now, why the Lord limited it to one individual, I don't know. Maybe Brother David knows that, and he can tell us about that in his sermon. But for whatever reason, the Lord limited it to one person. And again, I can just imagine the struggle that would go on and the wrestling and the fighting and the commotion when that angel would come down. But here is this man. He's there. He wants the healing. He's waiting for the healing. But notice what he says when the Lord asked him if he would be made whole. He says, sir, I have no man. You know what he's saying? He says, I, basically, I have no intercessor. I have no one to go between. I am totally incapable of getting the help that I need. I am totally incapable of my own volition and my own will and my own physical ability to obtain the cure and the help that I need. And whether we recognize it or not, you and I are exactly the same way. Uh, you and I are totally incapable of obtaining the help that we need of our own volition, of our own will, of our own power. The Bible makes it very clear that our salvation is not of the will of the flesh. It's not of blood. The Bible says it's not of him that will it, nor of him that run it, but of God that showeth mercy. Uh, you and I could never recover ourselves from a death in sins. Why? Because we were dead. Uh, very simply put, number one, we weren't even aware that we needed uh, salvation. We weren't aware that we had offended God. We were not aware that we were uh, falling short of what God commanded. We didn't care even if we were aware of those things. Uh, so we had no desire. Uh, we had no awareness of it. And even if we did, then we still had the inability to recover ourselves. And so we might would say, just like this man says, Sir, I have no mammy. I have no one to help. I have no intercessor uh, to step between. But what he doesn't recognize is he did have an intercessor to step between, and his name was Jesus Christ, and he was standing there right before. He was the one who had just asked him the question, Wilt thou be made whole? He says, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled, to put me in a pool, but while I am coming, another step down before me. Can you imagine the frustration of this poor man? Now, I don't know if he's been there for 38 years, but I'm sure as soon as he heard about the pool of Bethesda and this angel coming, he tried to get there. And I just, in my mind's eye, I picture that this man uh, goes away frustrated time and time and time again uh, because he could not attain that which he stood in need of. 
And you know, I know there's a lot of folks in this world that believe in a work system of salvation. At the end of the day, I still believe they're very frustrated individuals. And the reason they're frustrated individuals is they frustrate the grace of God. And if you frustrate the grace of God, you're going to be a frustrated individual. But when you can understand the gospel of the grace of God and the free and sovereign power of God to save his people from their sins, uh, there's no longer a frustration in your soul, but rather you come unto Jesus and you're able to rest in him, uh, knowing that all that we stood in need of regarding salvation has been accomplished in the Lord Jesus Christ. It lets us know that that which we could not do has been done for us uh, by the precious grace of an almighty God in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a substitute for what we could not do, and he did it to the uttermost. I love what uh, Paul says in the book of Hebrews, uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, saves us to the uttermost who come to God by him. You know, you don't come to God by yourself. Uh, you come to God by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, he saves us to the uttermost. I used to love Brother Sonny saying, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, he took us from the guttermost to the uttermost. And thank God that he has. Uh, but here this man is in a condition of needing help, but not recognizing that the greatest source of help was right there before him. There in Psalm 115, they asked the question, where is now their God? And I love the response that David writes in Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He had done whatsoever he had pleased. You know, I love preaching a sovereign God. I love thinking about a sovereign God. I like to hear about a sovereign God. You know, David go on in that psalm and describe about the people and their gods in this world. He says they have their gods and they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't handle. He says, and they that make them are like unto them. What's that? He says they're just as worthless as the gods that they make. Uh, you know, I'm thankful that we don't have a God like Dagon over there that the Philistines had. You know, the Philistines, they had a God that when the Ark of the Covenant came into his temple, uh, he fell over. And you know what the Philistines had to do? They had to go in there and prop up their God. How would you like a God that you had to prop up? You know, I serve a God that holds me up. I serve a God that I'm under the shadow of his wings and, I'm, and underneath me are the everlasting arms. I've never had to prop up God. Even when I try to evangelize and talk about the Lord, obviously I'm trying to exalt the Lord in the minds of those that I'm talking to. When I preach the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm trying to exalt Him in the minds of God's people. But I've never, ever thought that it was my responsibility uh, to try to prop up God. I've always thankfully recognized, well, as far back as I can remember anyway, that it is God that's holding me up. But here this man, he's not looking to the fact that the Redeemer is right in front of him. We find over in Isaiah chapter 59 that in verse 1 he says, uh, Isaiah right, says, Behold, the Lord's arm is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But then he says, But it's your sins that have separated from you and your God and made him hide his face away from you. But later down in that chapter, after he describes the depravity of humankind, you know what it says? It says that God looked. And God wondered that there was no man and no intercessor. God looked at our situation. Again, remember in verse 1 it says, God's arm is not shortened that it cannot save. And God's ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. 
That's not uh, that the case at all. God's arm has never been shortened. You know, I don't care how low a child of God can get. Uh, they're still not beyond the reach of the sovereign arm of God. I don't care how horrible your sin is. I don't care how deep you've plunged yourself into this world. Uh, you could go to the lowest hell that there is, and yet God in His mighty, saving, sovereign power has an arm that is long enough uh, to reach your case. I also believe in a God that I don't care uh, how uh, quietly you whisper your cry to Him. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. A number of times this weekend, I've noticed Brother Ronald's got a heavy ear. It don't hear so good. But I say, well, the Lord don't have an ear. Don't worry, mine's getting that way too, Brother Ronald. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think, well, God's ear's not heavy. There's never been a time that I've cried to him that he didn't hear me. And sometimes it may just be the quiet whisper of my soul. Saying like Peter said, Lord, help or save, I perish. There have been a lot of moments that I felt like I'm about to perish. Lord, save me. And the Lord heard my feeble cry because his ear is not heavy. And so when God looked and he saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. You know what the Bible goes on to say there in Isaiah 59 verse 17. He says, therefore, his own right arm. Remember, God's arm is not shortened that it cannot save. His own right arm brought salvation to him. You know who the right arm of God is? You know, we talk about so-and-so is my right-hand man. Well, I don't want to be coarse, but God's right-hand man is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the right arm of God. He is the strength of God. He is the displayed power of God, Jehovah, who made the world. And thank God the same God that made the world is not, uh, his arms not shortened. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this world and saved everyone that he ever intended to save. Now in Isaiah chapter 53, we find that Isaiah will uh, present this man to us. He lets us know in Isaiah 53, he starts out with a question, a very pertinent question. Who hath believed our report? He says, and to whom, notice this, is the arm of the Lord revealed. We know right away he's talking about none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he goes on and he talks about this one. And notice what he says about him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When God looked and wondered there was no man, you know what he did? He simply sent his own son into this world. Jesus would say in John chapter 6, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me he says, and this is the Father's will which has, with a, which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. God sends his own son into this world to be the sin bearer of his people. And so here comes the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, but to uh, recover us from our lost condition. You know what he had to become? He had to become a man of sorrows. And you know why? Because you and I had brought God many sorrows. And because we brought many sorrows, Jesus Christ became a man of sorrows. But I'm thankful he is not the man of sorrows today. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ that endured our sins, that took the wrath of God and bore it all the way to the very end when he went to Gethsemane and he offered that prayer, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what? The Lord is there declaring and asking of his Father. He's saying, God, I recognize, I understand that the sins of your people, the penalty thereof, is an everlasting separation from you. 
But if in your will and if in your power you could, which you knew that he could, if you would take the everlasting punishment due to every elect child of God and compact it in a few moments of time, if you would, he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou. You know what that verse teaches me? That if it required Jesus to suffer all the days of eternity for you and I to be with the Father in heaven, he would have done so. But God in his everlasting compassion and mercy, he took his wrath that was to be everlasting and compacted it together. And in one moment, he unsheathed the sword of his wrath and plunged it into the soul of the Son of God. And there the Lord Jesus Christ became the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And there he saw what you and I will never ever see, the full wrath of a vengeful God. I was asked this morning what I was going to preach on, and I didn't know, but I won't say who, but anyway, one brother said, I suspect when you look out and see me, you're going to preach on that sermon that John Edwards preached, that in the hands of an angry God. You know, I'm thankful I don't have to preach that sermon. Now, I do know the Bible teaches me that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But I'm thankful that if we'll be obedient, and we'll do what God's Word declares... You know what we do? We find ourselves in the hands of a very merciful, kind, gracious, compassionate God. And so I just simply encourage you to always live in such a way that you don't have to fear the hands of God. But instead, you know that you're held in the hands of a merciful and gracious God. So again, this man says, sir, I have no man. Well, yes, he did. He just didn't realize it. The man was right before him. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he just says, rise. Take up thy bed and walk. Jesus didn't use the water. Jesus didn't use the angel. Jesus just spoke and said, rise. And this man who for 38 years could not rise and walk, he got up, took up his bed, and he walked. But the Lord Jesus Christ, this man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who endured even what was necessary for this man's situation. That's not the same God we see today. I tried to preach to you yesterday about we're to go forth unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. We are to see Jesus at Calvary, but that's not where we're to leave him because that's not where the Bible leaves him. One of my very favorite verses in all the Bible is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 12. It says, but this man, after he had made one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So it's true, the Lord Jesus Christ became a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief he was a man that God in heaven unsheathed the sword of his wrath Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7 says awake O sword against my shepherd against a man that is my fellow but after God had unsheathed the sword of his wrath as declared there in Zechariah chapter 13 and the wrath of God was satisfied we find the Lord Jesus Christ this man after he made one not many sacrifice but one Sacrifice for sins forever. He sat down. Why did he sit down? Because it showed that it was a completed and accomplished, a finished forever work. It's not a work that has to be done over and over and over again. But God was satisfied. Why? Because it was God's own arm that brought salvation unto him. You know, I'd be afraid if salvation was left to me because I'd probably have to do it over and over and over and over again. Many things at my home that I do, I think, well, that's done. Yeah, it's done until it just needs to be done again. Uh, just right before leaving, I cut the grass because I knew right now uh, grass is growing and I have to cut it about twice a week. 
uh, to keep ahead of it. And it's only going to get worse as the summer goes on. But you know, uh, uh, Thursday afternoon after I got finished, I said, well, I'm done. And then I thought, yes, yeah, till next week and I get back home from uh, Tennessee. I got to do it all over again. I've painted my house inside and out, said, well, I'm done. But you know what? I've already noticed places where it's fading. <laughs> it's about time to do it again. Refinished our kitchen cabinet six years ago when we moved in. I noticed here lately, I started seeing little chips and nicks and all this. It's about time to repaint them again. <laughs> Everything that my hands touch, I have to do it over and over and over again. But thankfully, what God's hand touched in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, when it's done, it's done. So when he says in John chapter 19, it is finished, he meant it, it's finished. Never to be done again. It's not needful to do it again. So God is forever satisfied with the work of his precious son, the right hand of God. And thank God that we can recognize in the troubles of our days, we have a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who cares about every experience we go through. We don't have to be like that individual and look to the Lord and say, I don't have anybody. And there may be times in your experience you don't feel like you have anybody in this world, and some people may not have anybody in this world that cares. But I know this, I've always got one in heaven that cares. He shows his care. And I thank God that I can reach out to one. First Peter says, casting all your care upon him. Why? For he careth for you. That's a wonderful thought, is it not? You know, we were blessed for 10 years to be caregivers for my grandmother. And there were times that I'd get frustrated and we weren't very good caregivers all the time. But I'm thankful that that's not how God is with me. He's a great caregiver. And you know, there's never a moment he says, you know, I'm just tired of this job of giving care. There are moments, and if you've been a caregiver of somebody who's growing old, it, it gets to the point, it wears you down physically and mentally, and you just want to be done. Now there's times that I look back and I wish that I could have her with me again and give her some more care. But I'm thankful, though, that God never gets that way with me and says, you know, I'm just so tired of you. I've taken, taken care of you long enough. God will never get that way with us. We won't have to be like this man at the pool of Bethesda saying, I don't have anybody. No, we've always got somebody, and he will always, always care. May God bless.